Jai. Iskand founder Acharya Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai. Nantakoti Vaishnav Rinda Ki Jai. Namacharya Shila Haridas Thakur Ki Jai. Prem Shri Gohoshi Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Dvaita Gadar Hara Shri Vasavi Gaurav Akhtarinda Ki Jai. Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gopopinar Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai. Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai. Matura Dhamma Ki Jai. Navagri Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai. Jagannath Puri Dhamma Ki Jai. Ganga Maya Jamuna Devi Ki Jai. Bhakti Devi Ki Jai. Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai. Samaveta Bhaktarinda Ki Jai. Or Premanande. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada and Mahatma Vishnu Padaya. Krishna Prashnaya Bhutale Srimati Bhaktivedanta Swami Nityanande. Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachani Nivasesa Samirani Paskachadya Satani. Vandeham Sri Guru Sri Utah Padakamalam Sri Guru Vaishnavamscha. Shri Rupam Sadrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vitam Samsajiva Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitam Shabansh Kapaju Vishak Kripa Sindhaviva Chapachitanam Pavanavya Vaishnavavya Namunamala Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's the 16th, uh, no, 19th. 19th, I put 16th, that's the verse number, right, okay. It's the 19th of September, 2022, in Hillsborough, North Carolina. We're reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 39, Text 16. Smarantyas chaparas orir. Smarantyas chaparas orir. I'm supposed to speak closer to the mic. Anuragas materita. Anuragas materita. Riddhis prishas chitrapada. Riddhis
Now, this sort of, of misunderstanding is, is very common when we use terms such as kanista majuna hutama, which are also some of the terms that Sanatana Goswami is going to use. So often we hear the terms kanista majuna and utama, and we think whenever those terms are used, they're describing the same set of people. Kanista just means unsteady, it basically means a beginner. Majna means an intermediate, and Utama means a, uh, somebody who literally means above ignorance, it means someone who's advanced. So for example, we have the words Kanista, Majna, and Utama used in the 11th canto in terms of relationships. The Kanista only sees God in their temple. The Kanista tends to be, in this, in this understanding of Kanista, the Kanista is very sectarian. God is only in my temple. Or God is only there in my temple. He's not there in my business. He's not there in my family. He's not there in my entertainment. The Majjima sees God with love, tries to make friendship with the devotees, helps the innocent, and avoids the atheist. So again, that's in terms of relationships. And the Uttama sees God everywhere. And the Uttama says, everybody is great, and I am the only one who is in need of rectification. Now there's another definition of Kanista Madhuman Uttama, that the Kanista, in terms of Adhikara for taking up Vaidhisattva Bhakti, that the Kanista has little knowledge or faith in the scripture. So that's an unsteady position for the Adhikara for taking up Vaidhisattva Bhakti, because Vaidhisattva Bhakti is based not entirely, but almost entirely, on following the scriptural injunctions. There's also some taste through the Goswami's. So if you don't know the scriptural injunctions and you don't have faith in the scriptural injunctions, you're not very qualified to take up a system of bhakti that depends on following the scriptural injunctions. And the middle qualified person, the majjhima qualified person, has strong knowledge and faith in the scriptures, but can't convince others. And the best qualified person for Vaidhisattva Bhakti has strong knowledge and faith in the scriptures and can convince others. But that has nothing to do with the 11th canto descriptions. Is that, is that clear? They're, they're not related to each other. Or you find in the Upadesh Amrita of Rupa Goswami that their Kanista, Majjama, and Uttama refer to how committed one is to the process of bhakti. The Kanista chants the holy name. And Prabhupada in his purport refers to George Harrison. The Majjama has taken Diksha and is worshipping the deities. The Uttama never deviates from bhakti and doesn't even have any desire in their heart to be critical of others. So that's talking about commitment to the process. But somebody could be, have taken Diksha and is worshipping the deities, but not really have a lot of knowledge or faith in the Shastra. And a person could have taken Diksha and be worshipping the deities, but only see God in the temple and their deities and not know how to deal with anybody else. And a person could have taken Diksha and is worshipping the deities and see God everywhere. 
and know and, and see everybody is more elevated. So they could be a majima by one categorization and an utama by another categorization. But because the same words are used, we tend to try to make an equivalency. So in this particular case, with these verses, we should just be very wary of thinking that the different possibilities for how these persons are understood, again, are not equivalent to one another. Okay, so with that very strong caveat in mind, we're going to look first at the... Uh, at the commentary of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. Now he's the only one who's identifying these gopis by name. So he says this verse describes the extremely intense frame of Radha and other sakis. Here Sukadeva Goswami indicates his inclination toward the gopis with the words Solrahe, which implies Krishna, who now thinks of himself as a Kshatriya descendant of Surasena Sore, wants to go away to Mathura. Radha and other gopis became bewildered on remembering Krishna's astonishing words and affectionate, gentle smiles indicating his attraction for them. Remembering such statements as Napariyaham Niravadya Samyuyam, Bhagavatam 10.32.22, the gopis became completely baffled. The previously mentioned gopis were bewildered by their concentrated meditation on Krishna's form. These gopis, however, became totally bewildered, samumuhu, simply by remembering Krishna's words. This shows the superiority of their praying. All right, so that particular understanding, I'm going to look at this set of verses. So in verse 14, we had two types. We had gopis who became pale, from heavy and were, were breathing very heavily and their heavy breathing made them pale. We also had gopis who got anguish which made their clothes and jewelry become loose. It's like they have so much anguish that they lost weight instantly. Now I know this happens to performers and athletes like that, I think they were saying, you know, some performers lose like five pounds every performance because they're working so hard. Or race car drivers, I've heard of that. So somehow the gopis, they were like losing weight <laughs> due to anguish and their, their clothes were getting loose and their jewelry was falling off. Then in 15, yesterday's verse, they were meditating on Krishna's form and in their meditation they entered samadhi. And of course we have a prerequisite to samadhi is where you lose all awareness of your surroundings. Like we have Shamaka Rishi who didn't hear Pariket talking. We have Lord Shiva who didn't notice Daksha in the assembly. So they lost awareness of their surroundings. In today's verse, they're fainting by remembering Krishna's words. So we have pale from heavy breathing, anguish which makes them skinny, meditation which makes them unaware of their surroundings, and fainting. Meditation on Krishna's form, which makes them unaware of their surroundings and fainting from hearing Krishna's words. So Vishnu Chakrabhadi Thakur has identified the first category, pale from heavy breathing, as Bhadra and her associates, anguish which makes clothing and jewelry loose, as Shamala and her associates, meditation on Krishna's form, which removes awareness of the external world, 
Chandravani and her associates, and today's verse, fainting from remembering Krishna's words as Srimati Radharani and her associates. Now these four categories, these four gopis, Bhatra, Shamala, Chandravali, and Srimati Radharani, are four of the eight principal gopis. So often in ISKCON, when we talk about the eight principal gopis, we are talking about the eight main friends of Radharani. However, the eight principal gopis are not that. The eight principal gopis are described different ways in different shastras. There's different lists <laughs> in different places. But one of the lists, one of the main lists is Bhadra, Shamala, Chandravali, Radharani. Then Radharani's two main associates, who are Vishaka and and Chandravali's two main associates, who are Padma and Shaidya. So those are described as the eight main gopis. Now, Lalita, Vishaka, Padma, and Saidya uh, can be understood as being group leaders. They also have their followers. But however, they are also subordinate to their group leader. Whereas Vajra, Shamala, Chandravani, and Radharani, they're not subordinate to any group leaders. They're simply group leaders. So of those eight principal gopis, four of them are simply group leaders, and they each represent uh, four particular moods in relationship to each other. So if we take from the perspective of Radharani, then she is her own group, and then she has an opposite or rival group, that's Chandravali. Then she has a friendly group, that is Shamala, and then there are those who are friendly to Chandravali, who is Bhadra. So those who are friendly to Radharani, Shamala, are neutral to Chandravali. Those who are friendly to Chandravali, as Bhadra, are neutral to Radharani. If you took it from Chandravali's perspective, Chandravali is her own group, Radharani is a rival group, Bhadra is friendly, Shamala is neutral. Did everybody follow that? Now, Shimati Radharani is described as a left-wing gopi, Chandravali as a right-wing gopi, and Bhadra is almost completely right-wing, and Shamala is almost completely left-wing. But among their followers, like among Radharani's followers, um, we have, uh, which one is this? Vidya, who is right-wing. So not all of Radharani's followers are left-wing. And not all of Chandravali's followers are right-wing. By left-wing and right-wing, we mean how they deal with anger, how submissive they are. Another distinction between uh, Radharani and Chandravali is uh, described by Rupa Goswami as the nature of their love, that Radharani's love is described as a honey-like love, and Chandravali's love is described as a ghee-like love. And there's many, many other ways of describing them. Rupa Goswami altogether gives 360 different categories and subcategories of gopis. And it, it's extremely complex. I can't possibly remember all of it. I would have to have charts and graphs and, and uh, all kinds of graphics in a PowerPoint. And even then, I probably wouldn't remember it myself a half an hour after I taught it. But the point is that each of these personalities is indeed a personality. 
And Vishnu Chakravati Thakur is identifying, oh, I know what kind of gopi would become pale from heavy breathing. I, it's kind of like if we know people very well, we can understand something of who we're talking about from a description. Right? I'm sure you've had some instance where you don't remember someone's name and you just say, oh, the person who acts like, like this and like this, oh, yeah, I know who that is, right? Everybody's had that experience. Oh, so-and-so, what's their name, what's their name? I don't know who you're talking about. Oh, the person who just, they do this and this and they don't do this and they, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. So Vishnu Chagavaritaku is reading these and saying, it's Bhadra, and her group was going to become pale from heavy breathing. breathing. It's Shamala and her group who are going to have this anguish that their clothes and jewelry gets loose. It's Chandravali and her group who are going to go into meditation and become stunned. It's Radharani and her group who are going to faint from remembering Krishna's words. Now we have something similar that's described by Vishnu Chakravati Thakur in the Raslila, when Krishna's interacting differently with the gopis in the Raslila, He'll say, this is about this gopi, this is about this gopi, this is about this gopi. And a similar thing happens when Krishna returns to Raslila. So we have a painting of this in Manashiksha. That Krishna returns, when he, you know, he leaves the Raslila and he comes back. And then when he comes back, it says he puts his left arm, or actually one gopi takes his left arm and puts it around her shoulder. That's Shamala. Another gopi takes his right hand and puts it between her folded hands. That is Chandravali. One gopi takes Krishna's jeweled betel nut and puts it in her mouth. That's Bhattu, that's um, Saidya. Another gopi takes Krishna's foot and places it on her breast. That's Padma. Bhadra is not mentioned. Then there is Vishaka who does hear what's being described with Chandravali, who meditates on Krishna's form and becomes stunned and closes her eyes. Then there's Lalita, who's just staring at Krishna's form, and Radharani, who's biting her lips and curving her eyebrows and standing at a distance. So these names are not given in the Bhagavatam, just the descriptions, and Vishnu Chagavari Thakur is adding the names. All right, now let's look at Sanatana Goswami, who says something quite different. All right, so Sanatana Goswami. Now, I'm not going to read um, his whole tikka. I'm just going to read the last three paragraphs. The different groups reacted differently with increasing symptoms in the sequence of verses. So... Sanatana Goswami is saying that these different symptoms are an increase in intensity. Right? We have the pale from heavy breathing, clothes and jewelry falling off, meditation with unawareness of surroundings, and fainting from Krishna's words. So he says some were kiyasas, some were madhulas, and some were uttamas. Do you think he's talking about the 11th canto description of kiyasa, madhula, and uttama? No. Do you think he's talking about the qualifications for Vaidhisattva Bhakti description? No. Do you think he's talking about Rupa Goswami's Upadesh Amrita, of those who are committed more or less to the process? No. So what's he talking about? 
So he's talking about descriptions from all of these things that he's talking about. All, uh, descriptions from Rupa Goswami's Udwalanilumani. So there the Kanista is described, and this would apply to both of the categories in verse 14. Both the pale from heavy breathing and the clothes and jewelry getting loose. As gopis who anticipate many obstacles in their meetings with Krishna. The Madhuma, as gopis who get upset on hearing of their hero's unhappiness. And the Uttama, as gopis who will give up everything in order to give their hero one drop of pleasure and they feel absolutely no jealousy when Krishna is involved with another gopi. Now you can see how that it does not equate to the names of those gopis that Krishna Chakravati Thakur gave. Everybody see that's clear? Because Srimati Radharani definitely experiences jealousy at the um, at Krishna being with another gopi. So there, there's not an equivalency. Alright, so let's go on. Um, one gopi was the best of all. Or there were gopis who were previously sages, shrutis, wives of devatas, and nature siddhas. Alright, so this would put then the pale from every heavy breathing people are the silent siddha gopis who used to be the sages with Lord Ram in the Namasharani forest. The gopis whose clothing and jewelry became loose were previously the personified Vedas. And I always find it interesting that the beings who personify the scriptures are female. And then this other category is a little mysterious because these are supposed to be in increasing order of intensity. So meditation with loss of awareness is those who were previously demigods' lives. And I was thinking, well, that seems like a lower category, doesn't it? If you're going to take the sages, then the personified scriptures, and then the wives of demigods, it doesn't seem to go together. Right? And then the nijasiddhas are those who are fainting on hearing Krishna's words. But in Ujjwalamilamani, the way he's explaining the, uh, the wives of demigods is that Krishna's nijasiddha gopis have partial expansions among the demigods. Just like we heard about Drona and Dara, Yasoda and Nanda, that they have partial expansions among the demigods, and then when Krishna appears, those partial expansions again join with their full Nijasiddha manifestations. If you ask me to explain that, I can't. But anyway, those are those those are another category. Okay, going on with Sanatana Goswami and the translation I have, Badaswami's translation, Badaswami has a tendency with a lot of these Sanskrit terms to leave them untranslated. And so I spent about an hour yesterday trying to figure out exactly what these terms mean because Rupa Goswami drawing your money uses slightly different terms in different places and I had to go to Vishnu Chakravati Thakur's Ujjwalakimamani Kirana in order to figure this out clearly and then I had to look up in Sanskrit dictionaries and it was, it was quite a thing. So for Mojya with Marva Mridu, 
and Prakara types, and Prodra with Margava and Prakara types are shown. Those who were pained were Midu Mudra. Those whose clothes loosened were Prakara Mudra. Those who meditated on him were Midu Prodras. Those who fainted were Prakara Prodras. Okay, now it's very clear, right? So we have these four categories, right? We have the first category, those who were pale from heavy breathing, where the literal meaning would be soft and foolish. But foolish can also be very young. So they have a very soft nature and they're very young. Those whose clothes and jewelry loosened had a more harsh or talkative nature, but they were also very young. Those who were meditating with lack of awareness had a very soft nature, but they were older, more mature. Those who were fainting due to remembering Krishna's words had a very harsh or talkative nature and were more mature. All right, then we have this last categorization by Sanatya Goswami. Or some were unmarried young girls or married and very young. Some were married and prodra. Others were attracted only to Krishna and performed kachayani vrata. Among them, some were unmarried and some had an appearance of being married. The different types reacted as described in the verses. Uh, this also took me quite a while to sort this out. And again, I had to look at Utolami Ramani Kirana in order to make any sense of this. So I may not be getting this quite right. Uh, I'm going to do the best I can with this. That those who were pale from heavy breathing were unmarried, but they had not taken a vow to marry Krishna. So they loved Krishna as a lover, and they weren't married to anyone else, but they didn't take a vow to marry Krishna. Then those whose clothing clothing and jewelry became loose were married to others, and they were very young. Those who meditated on Krishna and had no awareness of their surroundings, they did the Kachanyani Vrat, and they considered themselves married to Krishna by the Gantara Vrat. Then those who fainted with remembering Krishna's words were married to others not so young and did the Katayani Vrat but considered Krishna as a paramour. So we're going to go on to Jiva Goswami's category of looking at something else with this verse, but I wanted to bring out with this analysis, and I'm sorry it was a little bit of a technical analysis, but I felt if our acharyas made it that it was worth looking at, that there's so many varieties of devotees. And each variety has their own characteristics. You know, we have a philosophy of what some of our Islam members like to call radical personalism. We are eternally persons. It's not just that we're persons in this particular life, in this particular body, but we're eternally persons. And in fact, the personality that we display in this life and in this body is not indicative in any way whatsoever of our eternal personality. In fact, it may be diametrically opposed. You know, somebody who's, who's very soft, in their eternal personality, maybe in the more harsh, talkative category in this life. Yes, you follow? Just like Prabhupada makes the point very strongly that those who are male in this life might be gopis, and those who are female in this life might be coward boys. And it's not just true with physicality, it's also true with personality. 
We don't even manifest exactly the same personality from one life to another in this world. In fact, there are some shifts that happen even in this life. I know of people who've changed from the Republican Party to the Democratic Party. Yes, we know people like this. They've changed their political affiliation. Or probably will talk about how you can change your religion. You can change from being, you know, a Catholic to a Protestant or, or a Protestant to a Hindu or whatever. So even parts of our mentality change in this life. I mean, we have some aspects of our personality and some aspects of our physicality that really cannot be changed in this life. But then from one life to another, they can change radically. You know, Barak went from being human to being a deer. That's a pretty extensive physical change. But we have our eternal personality, which is changeless. Krishna says the soul is changeless. And we have our eternal personality. Of course, it's also interesting that the jiva can simultaneously take a number of different roles. Like, I find it fascinating in Chaitanya Lila that some of Lord Chaitanya's devotees are also coward boys in Krishna Lila and also monkeys in Ram Lila. And the liberated jiva can expand, not like Krishna. Krishna can expand infinitely. So the liberated jiva doesn't expand infinitely. But the liberated jiva can also expand and be in many pastimes simultaneously and take different roles in those different pastimes. They not necessarily have exactly... Because people will say, well, if I'm a coward boy, is that it? Like I can't be anything else? And the answer is no. You can be other things in other places with other manifestations of the Lord. Of course, we ask that question because our particular personality and physicality in this life is not totally pleasing to any of us. None of us like absolutely everything about our body. Even people who have very attractive bodies, like, say, Marilyn Monroe, she dyed her hair. And she wore makeup. Obviously, she didn't like everything about her body. She didn't like her hair color. So we don't like everything about our body, and we don't like everything about our personality, isn't it? There's some aspects of my personality that I'm actually kind of uncomfortable with, but I'm sort of stuck with them. So we're afraid that in my eternal personality, there's going to be things I won't like, and I'll be stuck with it. We're imposing the material upon the spiritual. But our spiritual personality is everything we perfectly and authentically are that is perfectly pleasing to ourselves and to the Lord. So we have some little indication here. You know, you can just read through these Bhagavatam verses and just kind of think, you know, that all of the gopis were going through all four of these symptoms. But actually different symptoms were displayed by different gopis. Now it could also be that all five of these descriptions are all simultaneously true but they're applying to different persons. In other words, some of the gopis who were pale from heavy breathing were Bhadra and her group. Some of the gopis who were pale and heavy breathing were the kinistas in the sense of anticipating many obstacles. Some other gopis who were pale with heavy breathing were the sadhana city gopis who were previously sages. That, but that's not Bhadra. Bhadra is interested. 
Some of the gopis who were pale with heavy breathing were the unmarried gopis who did not make vows to marry Krishna, and some of the gopis who were pale with heavy breathing were those who had a very soft nature and were very young. So there could have been five different groups of gopis that all had these particular symptoms. And I'm sure, completely sure, that these four symptoms that Sukadev Goswami described are not the full range of symptoms. If we look at Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu, all of the different categories of Yavichari loves would have been displayed. All the different, you know, Yavichari loves, different Anubhavs, different Sattvika loves would have all been displayed by all of these different gopis. This also gives us some understanding that even here as Sadhikas, we don't all respond exactly in the same way to things. We don't all respond exactly in the same way to chanting our japa, to chanting in kirtan, to seeing the deity, to taking prasada, to hearing Krishna's pastimes. We're going to respond differently according to who we are and how we're relating to Krishna. And sometimes you have people teaching and preaching, and I especially run into this with studying Shiva Prabhupada's books and with Japa, that the ideal is going to be some like factory model. You know, that the ideal Japa for all devotees is going to look the same. And the ideal studying of Prabhupada's books is going to look the same. I was once at a retreat where I was asked to speak about how one should study Srila Prabhupada's books. And they were expecting me to give a this is how everybody should do it. This is how everybody should think. This is how everybody should feel. And I said, I'm not going to do that. Instead, we made a circle, and I went around the circle, and I asked each of the persons, how do you study Prabhupada's books? And we got as many different answers as there were people. And some of them were just astonishing. Some of them were like, I take the verses and turn them into poetry. Some of them were, I focus on the Sanskrit words and look up where those words are used elsewhere and what it means. Some of them were, I like to study with a partner. And we have a discussion. And then they had different kinds of discussion. As we advance in Krishna consciousness, we come more to who we are. So finally I want to look at Ajiva Goswami who says a little bit of the same thing but he also goes into another topic. He says this verse describes the most intense love within Radha's group. Krishna is called Sore because he is now identifying himself as a member of the Sura of the Shura dynasty in desiring to go to Mathura. It is Sukadev's comment in hatred and love since he sided with the Gopi. So Sukadev Goswami using this word solely, it was both hatred and love. Why hatred? How do you dare identify as a Yadu and go to Madhura? And love because of course he loves her. Krishna's Anuraga could be understood from the tone of Sukadev's voice and his gestures. Wow! What an insight here for preachers and teachers of Krishna consciousness. How we use our voice, how we use our body. 
should be indicating something of what we're teaching. That I always taught my students about. The meaning of the words and how you say the words. There should be something. It shouldn't be just be in a stupid age coming in hatred and love, as you said. Not just a monotone, but your tone of voice, your gestures, your everything should be matching the meaning of the word. So Sukhya Goswami is a transparent divine media for the emotion of Krishna. The words of Krishna touch the heart. We have this word, Rita, and heart in this verse, because of their meaning. The words were excellent because of the choice of words using double meaning and alliteration. This showed his special love for them. They became completely bewildered as of being struck unconscious with no chance of recovery. They were women's striha, and thus they could not personally remedy the situation. So we all have some of this experience with Krishna's words, isn't it? When I first read Bhagavad Gita as it is, I felt as if my heart was touched. It was my, my primary experience was as if somebody was taking everything I ever thought or wondered about or maybe knew in my heart and taking it out and putting it in front of words. And the double meanings and the poetry, the beauty of the words, the depth of the meaning, how you can go to Krishna's words again and again and again and again. And there's layers and layers and permutations and the beauty of the words. And the bewildering one, like, you cannot recover. Like Rupa Swami says, don't go see Govinda. You won't be able to enjoy material life anymore. You know, you read Bhagavad Gita, you're finished, isn't it? You don't recover. And maybe even filling one with contradictory feelings, like Sukadeva is being filled with both hatred and love. Krishna's going to Mathura. Krishna's going to Mathura. We don't want them to go in Mantra. Part of us doesn't want to continue reading the Bhagavatam. Part of us is saying, can we just stop here? Like Dayakur was saying, like before we stopped after the 13th chapter and went back to the first chapter. So some of us are feeling the chorus come. No, let's just forget it. Let's stop. And some of us are saying, no, let's go on. All of Krishna's pastimes are nectarian. All of Krishna's pastimes are sweet. All of Krishna's devotees are sweet. We also want to hear about Krishna in Mathura and Dwarka. We also want to hear about Krishna's incarnations. So we're filled with these contradictory feelings. And of course, uh, at least myself, I'm not feeling them on the level of the gopis. <laughs> but even Prabhupada says if we can follow the residence of Vrindavan to a minute degree, then our life becomes successful. Thank you, Shri Prabhupada.